Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant. Hey, Em. Hey, Shell. Emily Bowen here, and I am all about the world of recruitment. Today on the show, we're having a career DNM with Laura Henshaw and Steph Claire Smith. And on this episode, we go deep on career risks, backing yourself, and overcoming self doubt. Laura and Steph share their story as founders of Keep It Cleaner or Kick. They co founded Kick to help build confidence and promote body positivity. But before we get into it, we want to shout out to our show partner, Rarekind. Rarekind believe there's no limit to how good work can be. They create life-changing work experiences. They celebrate unique people and build up better culture for businesses. They want people to be their very best selves in the workplace and they work relentlessly to make that happen. If you're looking for an uncommonly good work experience, visit rarekind.com.au. Let's do it. Steph Claire Smith and Laura Henshaw from Keep It Cleaner or Kick. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank Thanks you for, for having, having us. us. We're so excited to chat. Oh, we we have been looking forward to this conversation so much. <laughs> and we're actually, we should say up front, we're taking a bit of a leaf out of your podcast <laughs> and we're wanting to do a career DNM and really go there on the highs and lows, the fails and the wins for both of you in how you've uh, built your career because we know you've had these successful careers. And one of the things we often see from the outside is things look really good from the outside as an external, but we want to know kind of all the ins and outs for you, for you both of what um, challenges you've faced and had to overcome in your own journeys. Yeah, I think something, it's been really nice. I feel like I've gotten to know both of you just from following you on <laughs> Instagram and being connected with you on LinkedIn and something that you do really well, not only on your podcast, but also, which is KickPod, but also through those other channels is like you share and you you do get deep and it you kind of scratch away some of that shininess in a really, really positive way. So we're really excited to be able to learn even more because as I say, I feel like I already know you and I'm just sitting there on the other side of a screen most of the time, you know, seeing what's going on in your lives. Oh, that's really sweet. Thank you. (laughs) Likewise to you guys too. Well, let's kick off. I'd love to chat first about you're both co-founders of Kick and I just really love to know what made you start this journey of of starting your own business. Well, when it started, it was certainly not a, a business venture, as in we hadn't looked at it in that way. It was definitely more of a, pro, a passion project. But Laura and I met about eight years ago through the modelling industry. We both walked in a few of the same fashion shows at Melbourne Fashion Week eight years ago, and we just got along like a house on fire. Like it was, that's a really bad saying. And now that I say it out loud, um, <laughs> but it was just like those times when you meet someone and you feel like you've known each other for years. Um, we had that kind of friendship bond really quickly and something that we did 
bond over continuously over the the next couple of years was our own struggles with eating and exercising the relationship we had with exercising and and kind of diet culture and everything there was a lot of similarities there and a lot of struggles and that was partly due to the modeling industry but also partly due to what was happening on social media there was a lot of fad diets going around quick fixes challenges um and this real pressure around what you looked like and this you know hashtag perfect body or thigh gap and all that sort of stuff. And we really truly felt that pressure as young, you know, 20 year olds in the modeling industry and, you know, with a following on social media. And so for us, what started to happen, you know, Laura had a food blog, which was amazing. She could share her recipes on there and they're all truly inspired by just wholesome ingredients, uh, really nutritious ingredients. And I really loved following a lot of her recipes. Um, I also had quite a strong following at the time and I was often asked, you know, what food I was eating. And this was around the time that we were both really kind of coming out of the other side of a really bad time with, with, with food and exercise. We weren't quite, you know, as far as we are now, of course, these days, but it, we were still learning a lot. But what we did want to share was wholesome recipes that weren't, you know, about the calories. It wasn't a number. It was just wholesome, fun recipes. And it really did start off as a passion project with an ebook of 37 of our recipes. Um, and from there, a community grew and it became a website, a subscription business, and now an app and what it is today. And it's just insane. So it's funny when we get asked the question about, you know, starting the business venture, because when it started, it was, it was absolutely just a passion project that we wanted to do to put out there to help other people, I suppose, um, not have that same kind of pressure or anxiety around food that, that we did. And how does Kick fit into both of your lives now? Because it's more than an ebook, uh, <laughs> very easily more than an ebook. Um, you know, I guess feel free to answer that however you like, but I'm thinking what roles do you play? How much time does it take for each of you? What does it look like in your normal, normal sort of week? I would say it is our life. Like, <laughs> I think, um, I think first of all, Kick, I mean, what's so amazing about what we do is Kick has been built on, I suppose, our, Steph and my personal values. And it's definitely evolved, but the, the things that we, we really, really care about and are passionate about in that giving, creating a accessible platform for people where, you know, we can make health and living a healthy lifestyle a little bit easier and accessible for them. That's really, really important to us. And no matter what stage people are on on their journey knowing that you know we have something for them to support them so that's really really important to us and then within the business I mean it's both of our full-time jobs now so Steph has um had a baby which is very exciting he's not a baby anymore he's about to turn one oh, he's not a baby. <laughs> oh, it's so amazing um so Steph he's coming back but Steph came back quite quickly um into work and, and Steph can talk to that but for me um I'm now kick CEO which is really really exciting which I took on last year about a midway through the year um, and so for me kick is my life everything <laughs> um, everything I do I'm living and breathing kick and thinking about kick and and I absolutely love it and I wouldn't I wouldn't have it any other way I feel so lucky that this has become you know an incredible career journey for Steph and I um, and we're just so proud of you know what kick has become I think if someone asked us kind of maybe seven or eight mm. years ago you know would you imagine you'd be running this company with you know 17 team 
members and what else and, and you know an app with you know people all around the world we would have been like what app no like I wouldn't honestly I truly would not have believed it so it's incredible you know what what kick has become and yeah we're, we're so proud of it yeah and pardon the pun but uh is absolutely kicking goals as CEO <laughs> it's been really cool to see you know not only as a business partner but um as a best mate as well. It's been really cool to see her grow into that role and she's nailing it. As for me, as Law said, you know, over the last year, it has been different, obviously, coming coming out of um, maternity leave and everything like that. I had so much FOMO from the get-go that I was still trying to be a part of, you know, Zoom meetings pretty much from the moment Harvey was born, but that was very minimal. You know, it might have just been like the weekly team meeting just so that I could kind of keep in touch with everyone and and know what everyone was up to and everything like that. And obviously the best part of my business partner being my best friend is I also could keep up. You know, Laura was giving me updates every day of what was going on and I really appreciated that because I I missed work so much. And then as soon as I felt ready to do just that little bit more, I started to do a little bit more and it was about when Harvey was nine months old that I decided to come back to four days a week Um, and they've been pretty flexible but I'm trying to do a structure of, you know, working Tuesday to kind of like a semi half day on Fridays. And at the moment, our team's working in the office two days a week. Um, and I'm definitely in those two days. And sometimes even the third or fourth day I'm in here as well, because it is really hard to work at home with a baby. Um, <laughs> even though I've got Josh there helping me as our the stay-at-home dad, he's our primary carer for Harvey at the moment. Um, it's still so easy to get distracted and just want to play with him or cuddle him or be there to help support Josh when I'm at home. So I'm still working out, you know, that kind of balance. If it ever comes to a time where I really do need to work from home, I'm still working that out. But for now, I just escape to the office for for that kind of focus time. (laughs) I love that so much, Steph. There's something, oh, there's so many things that I feel like we could draw out all these things. I just want to focus in on one thing that you you said there that to me really resonates as a mum. I've got with my two little ones and you said FOMO and you finish, you you, you finish your, before you go on parental leave, you finish up and you're so ready to have this baby. And one of the things no one talks about is, what does it look like when you're off and you wish you were back? And the, and the reality of that, because you kind of feel going into having a bub, I'm going to find my like sweet spot here and I'm going to just like, and it's amazing. Please hear me. It's amazing. <laughs> but it's that, there is a bit of FOMO. And so mm. I want to talk about that a little bit more about your journey as a mum. And I love that Josh, it's amazing to hear Josh doing that stay-at-home parent role because that is more rare and I'm so glad that you're actually modeling what that looks like. Tell us for you, what are some of the challenges that you've experienced and how have you navigated them? Because it is a really tough zone. I think between Josh and I, it's just been about being really open with each other and like open communication has been the biggest thing because pretty much from day dot, the first couple of days, in fact, the first week of me going back to work was possibly the hardest because he kind of felt like he was thrown in the deep end and it was just a shock to his system. Um, Josh had also personally had quite a few different changes over his personal career uh, prior to Harvey being born as well. So it was quite a big shift in lifestyle, not working and, you know, being a full-time dad. And the thing is, is we're the first out of our friendship group. I mean, there's a couple of friends that we, that we know that have had babies, but 
in, you know, nine out of 10 of those cases, the dad is the one that works. And so for Josh, he, I had my mother's group, you know, I've connected with other mums and everything like that, particularly in the early stages or even through my pregnancy, whereas Josh didn't really do that. And so now that he's, you know, a stay at home dad, he doesn't really have that community that I'd kind of built for myself. Um, and sure, he could absolutely hang out with my girlfriends. Like there's absolutely no problem with that. But yeah, I think it's just that hurdle that he's working through at the moment. And for us, we just are really open about it. And, and I've said to him, cause he's a, he's a real doer. Like he doesn't like to sit still. He really likes to be active and, um, busy and he's got quite an active mind. So he needs to be continuously stimulated. So when he's had, you know, a full day with Harvey and it might have been, you know, just playing with blocks and watching Elmo and stuff like that. He can feel pretty flat at the end of the day. And I totally understand that. So I think for me, it's about winding back my expectations. Cause I think at the start, you know, if I didn't have kick, I would have been quite happy to be a stay at home mom in the beginning because I just, I just love it so much. And I love being a mom, but for me, it's been, you know, balancing those two passions with Josh, you know, he might've never really thought of himself as a stay-at-home dad. He never would have imagined that lifestyle for himself. So I think I might have taken it in the early stages a little better than he did only because I had kind of prepped my mind for it. And maybe that's because of society, I don't know. Um, But yeah, I think it was that kind of shock that he had to go through um, where he was you know, people are asking him that question, what are you, what are you going to do? Cause they think it's just an interim period until he gets a job. And it's like, well, no, that's kind of what I'm doing at the moment. Like there's no, I'm not really searching for a job. Sure. If it comes up, we've had a really open conversation. If some amazing opportunity comes up, you know, I want him to feel like he can talk to me about it and we can look into other things like childcare and everything like that. But for now, our plan is that he's the primary carer. And so it's just funny when he gets asked that question, what's next or what are you going to do? What, what career are you going for or whatever? Because I don't know if women staying home mums really get asked that question ever when they say I'm, I'm a full-time mum. So it's just interesting, but yeah, it's just, I think for us managing that and this new kind of lifestyle, it, it's, it's all about communication. It's so helpful to hear. And I think there's so much gold in that of hearing your journey with Josh of how you're just managing those expectations. So thank you for sharing. And I love even thinking about the flip side of that where like for me, and I'm not sure how you guys have have had to deal with this, but one of the questions I've got asked over time as a mum working full time and whatnot is, oh, don't you have mum guilt like that you're not involved? And so I think there's these dynamics that society says, this is what we expect and you can't break the mould. But I love that you're modelling, you can break the mould, but we still need the support there and the open communication to do that in your own career. I'd love to dig in now. We want to move into some questions about your career risks that you've taken. And Laura, I'm keen to know from you, like even stepping into the CEO role and starting this business and what are the risks that you've taken that have been good ones or even some of the bad ones? (laughs) I think when I was thinking about this last night, we've taken probably two pretty big risks over the time of Kick. Steph and I both have, in the early days, we have grown. I think a lot of people might look at Kick and think it's been an overnight success in, in some ways and grown really quickly, but it's actually been quite a gradual process. We launched the ebook in 2015, so seven years ago. Uh, we then used that the funds from the ebook to be able to build out a subscription website, which we had, um, which was quite a basic website. We had three recipes and one workout a month. And then we started working with a bigger company who had a very big team and specialized in building out fully fledged 
health and fitness programs. So it was a gradual, we didn't go, you know, straight to the app because obviously app development is extremely expensive. You need a lot of resources to be able to do it. So it's not like we kind of just said, okay, we're going to start an app and then we, we built this app. We've, we've done it gradually. I think the biggest risk that we've ever taken and, and it was the best thing that we ever did um, was going out on our own uh, and building our own team for Kick and launching our app. So we used to work with a, with another company and they ran the business uh, and Steph and I were, I suppose, the faces of, of the program, but we'd already started with, with the ebook and the website before that. So we owned the, you know, Keep It Cleaner, the name, that was our name, it was our thing. Um, the program had actually had a different name uh, and we decided to take the plunge um, and launch an app um, and go out on our own and we lost – which was it was just the way the contracts were were made up. We lost the um, the database, we lost the Facebook community. All of these things were super valuable, and it was probably the first moment in our lifetime, well, the career of and, and Kick, I suppose, in Kick's life, that we took a risk where we were onto a really good thing, mm. and it could have it could have been an absolute disaster, and we could have lost what we had built. But I think in that moment when we relaunched with the app um, and we were able to maintain the everyone that kind of was on the old program and more came across to the new program was really exciting for us because I think we, we were told by a lot of people that we were crazy um, and that we didn't really know what it was what it was like to run a business and we didn't understand it. We didn't understand how much went into it, which I think is something that's really common for um, especially young women um, yeah. and I don't mean women in general in the workplace. Um, and so I think for that reason, when we did it and we we kind of went out there and, and it worked, it was this really, really amazing, I suppose, confidence booster for us and just thinking, I, I think it just really made us believe even more, you know, where we knew we really believed in what we were doing with Kick. We believe we could make an impact. We believe in our mission. Um, and it was just a moment of, okay, we've got this now, now we've launched, now we have to keep going. So let's just, <laughs> you know, let's just go, let's just continue. And I think that that's one thing with, especially with development, um, tech development, and we've got a website and, and then the app. You never, you can't predict anything, especially with development. They, you just never know what you're going to find in the code and there might be things that are broken and you need to fix and you open the, the like if you think of a car, if you open the front part of it, what do you, I, I'm obviously not a mechanic. The What's hood? I think they call <laughs> the that the hood in the, mo- <laughs> in the, the movies. Hood. I've heard yeah, that. the hood. <laughs> you don't know what you're going to find under there. Unless it's a really fancy car that maybe you would know. But, you know, you open up and then you, yeah, you don't know what you're going to find in there. And that's, that's really true to um, development and code as well. So... I think for us, it's been, yeah, it's been incredible to to be able to say that we did that and we have just from that point, I think there was definitely, because when you take big risks, I think it's really important to acknowledge as well that you, it's not like we knew that it was going to work the whole time. And even once we'd read, there was so many moments when we thought, oh my goodness, why did we do this? And we doubted the decision that we'd made, Um, but we just stuck with it. We had, we had a clear plan and and we kept going. Um, And yeah, so that was, that was a huge, huge, huge part of making kick into what it is today. I'd love to uh, open the hood, dare I say, on how you make decisions. Like what does that decision-making process look like for you? Because so often when we sit and have conversations in hindsight, you just make it sound like a breeze, you know. So we made the decision to do this and we had a plan to do that and that's not to take away from how big a risk it was but 
you just, you make it look and sound so easy. And so I'd love to understand when you're in that tension of do we, don't we, what does that decision making process look like for you? So for us in that moment, that decision in particular, we did the financial modelling for what we would, or what we thought we would need <laughs> to, um, to be able to run the business for five months on our own. And that was really, really important for us that we had, we had that cash reserve there to know that, you know, because we, we were hiring a team. And so it was really important to us to make sure that we knew that we were hiring a team with the, um, What's the word? Intention the, that their jobs were still exactly, going to exist. Exactly, because that, that's obviously really, really, really important. Yeah. So we did the we did the financial modelling, and then when we 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 looked at that, um, we spoke to a few people. I, I would say our advisory network at that time, well, I definitely was not as strong as it is now. Um, our decision making process is a little bit different now. We have we've got an advisory board at Kick, so all of the big decisions we make um, with a really strong senior leadership team, which is fantastic. And that really, really helps. And it's interesting with our advisory board, what's fantastic is so we will have a long-term strategy that we've worked out for Kik and there's obviously some small decisions and some really, really big decisions in there. And what we find with the advisory board is they absolutely challenge us, which is really, really important. And they provide a level of expertise and that you know we don't have. So that's fantastic. But what often happens is it just helps to validate mm. what we want to do by talking to, you know, people that are really experienced and they might say, we might say, okay, we want to take the business down this road and they will say, yeah, you know, that sounds really great. Mm. And I think sometimes it's just having that confidence, especially as kind of coming back to being young women run, running the business and maybe not having the, the years of experience that, you know, some other CEOs have and, well, many other, <laughs> I would say majority of CEOs have. Um, I think it really, really helps knowing that, hang on, you know, this person has done whatever many years of experience. They're really, really successful. They agree with what we're doing. So we must be onto something and it's all good. And it's just that confidence booster of, you know, we've got this, we know what we're doing. Um, but it also really, really helps having them to challenge us as well. That's so good, Laura. And just hearing about having it your own in your career, have your own advisory board, whatever that looks like. If you're listening to right now and you might not be thinking starting your own business, but find people in your world that can advise you, instruct you, give you wisdom in the gaps. But I love what you're saying that it's usually around the smaller details. And I know both of you have probably had your own journey of really having to back yourself as well <laughs> and really go, okay, I, when you transitioned across to uh, running the business fully yourselves of we've got this or at least we think we've got it, we are committed to our mission and we know that this aligns with our values, which is really big for us here at My Millennial Career. I want to get into this thing of imposter syndrome because I think when we're talking talking about this concept of backing yourself, usually you back yourself but you, you can't necessarily separate the imposter syndrome that's in the mix with that or the fear. And I love what you wrote, Laura, on LinkedIn. Do you want to read this? Oh, or, I can if you like. Because um, I feel like you've got a better reading voice, Monster, a bit nasally. <laughs> Laura but always the throws the reading at me too. <laughs> the, okay. the trouble is as soon as you say that and then I have to read, it just, now you know, yeah. the expectation is high, Pressure right? Uh, what I'd love to insert just before I do is we actually recently did release an episode on imposter syndrome. And for anyone that's going, what is this imposter syndrome they're talking about? I'd love for you to go and have a listen because I learned a lot. Uh, and I actually didn't necessarily think that I'd been overly influenced by imposter syndrome yet. But then as I was in that episode, I'm going, oh no, I have, that's me. <laughs> I get it now. All right. So this is from Laura on LinkedIn a couple of weeks before recording this episode. As a young, asterisk, 
we are only as young or old as we feel, female CEO, I so often write myself off from things because of my lack of experience. I will often say to myself, I just haven't done enough work in that area yet. I can't make that decision myself. I'm not good enough to apply for that or succeed at X. I autopilot to self-doubt. I have been nominated for an upcoming award for Keep It Cleaner and in receiving the email, I defaulted to my usual thinking of, I will never be experienced enough to win or get close. Then I realised that I was in fact, for this particular award, one of the oldest nominations. It's for under 30s and I'm turning 30 this year. So my usual self-doubting of experience actually couldn't apply to this situation. It made me think how often as women in particular that we feel we need to be overqualified or work 10 times as hard as our male counterparts to deserve a role or spot or recognition for our work. If your go-to thought in situations is to doubt yourself, I challenge you to own your success instead. I'm going to try it too. Ah, oh, I love this so much. When I saw it, I was like, can I like it like 50 times? Like, how can I do that? And I just think it captures so beautifully your career journey. But for a lot of our listeners, that will really resonate that what does owning your success look like? Because we're always looking to the next thing. Like, oh, I've got the next list on the achievements or or that self-doubt. Can you both, and I'd love to hear both of you, I guess, share your thoughts of how, do, how have you navigated that self-doubt in your own career and life? Yeah, well, it's very real. And I think what is, is the most, I mean, it's probably not funny, really is the right word, but the thing that I found the most interesting about imposter syndrome and self-doubt is you would think it would get easier when you become, you know, according to society, more successful in quotation marks. It does not. It gets worse because I think the more success that we've had with Keep It Cleaner, the more I think back to the expectation in my head and the stereotype of what I think a leader of a company or a founder of a company of our size looks like. And it doesn't look like us, you know, and it's funny because I'm so proud of what we have done and we have got this, you know, we, we've built Keep It Cleaner to, to what it is today and, and it, it's awesome to see that. So it's it's really important to always reflect on that. But I think we have these expectations of, of things in our head and then when we compare them to that, that are completely made up and we compare ourselves to these expectations, it's almost impossible to live up to them because they're unrealistic. And so I think for me, when self-doubt, I mean, even last week, for example, I had a few days when I just got into, once it starts spiraling and then it just continues and then you just go down, I'm using my hands just to like fall down onto the ground. (laughs) 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 Um, But that, you know, it is, it's really hard when that happens and it happens to all of us. I think that's really, really important to acknowledge. I mean, even with imposter syndrome, one of the founders and the co-CEO of Atlatison, Mike Cannon-Brooks, I mean, he's one of the most successful entrepreneurs that we've ever seen come out of Australia and he speaks about imposter syndrome all the time. So I think it's important to, to know for anyone listening that does doubt themselves, it's completely normal, uh, but you just we just need to make sure that we don't let it own our story. You know, it can be a part of it, but it just can't be the reason that we hold ourselves back from doing things. And so for me, when I start to doubt myself, I have to, I mean, in the moment it is quite hard. I often find this in reflecting kind of a week later and try and pull myself out of it. Um, What I did over the weekend, because I did feel it last week, was I really thought about why I was feeling this way and where these expectations were coming from. And they were coming from the fact that I was comparing myself at, you know, my chapter two or whatever it might be, my journey, to someone else's chapter 20, which is just, you would never, like, I'm trying to compare 
I'm thinking I'm comparing apples and apples, but I'm comparing an apple with a apple. sandwich, like something so, you know, so different. And that's, it's really, really important, I suppose, to acknowledge that. So that, that really helps me. And then remembering too that, you know, we can't expect more from ourselves than what we have on that day. And we can only expect, you know, what we have. We, we can only do what we can with what we have on that day within ourselves. So it's important to remember that as well. And I, I think most self-doubt comes from the pressure that we're putting on ourselves. It's actually not external. So it's really important to own that and realize that, you know, it is actually something that we're doing to ourselves. So how can we, what can we do to alleviate it? Yeah, I think for me, uh, I've, I'm quite fortunate. I was, um, I grew up really confident, really confident. So I think I have a backbone in me that, you know, is kind of confident in a lot of different scenarios, but it's not to say that self-doubt has not crept in. And I think when it does, it's so unexpected and it just kind of hits me for six. And I think because I'm so used to being such a confident person and and my whole life I have been that way, it's a really confusing time for me when it does hit because I'm like, what is this feeling? (laughs) Um, Because I've kind of always had this attitude that I'll just do my best and be myself and if someone doesn't like it, that's their issue, not mine. And so I do try and remind myself, I suppose, of that little mantra when I am feeling that way. But I think for me personally, it's just about practicing what we preach. I mean, our community, they don't just talk about, you know, health and fitness um, in there. They talk about, you know, lacking confidence or motivation in a whole in every aspect of life, whether it's work, relationships, school. And so it's really cool, I think, when we kind of push that message of, you know, really looking after your mental and physical health and showing all the other benefits of exercise and, you know, keeping connections and communicating with others and all that sort of stuff. It's it's all well and good if we encourage that on our community. But, you know, if we see that that's working for them and that's helped them build up their confidence, there's no reason why we shouldn't probably listen to what we are saying ourselves and take on that advice. And so I think sometimes I do kind of step back and I'm like, hang on, I tell all these people every single day to be confident in themselves and that they can do it and they've got this, like, just I have to just speak to myself with that that same kind of positive talk. So, yeah, it's it's for us. It's it's um living and breathing kick is awesome because it means that you know obviously we know the business inside and out, but for us it it was built as Laura mentioned earlier on our own kind of beliefs and values and everything. So for us, it's just important about remembering that and there is a reason why we've put it out there for people to follow because it really does make a difference to your own personal mindset. So. I just often remind myself to follow it along (laughs) and then I feel better. Oh, beautiful. On that note, let's all take a moment just to let simmer what we've been hearing. We'll we'll have a break and then when we come back, we're going to um, use the F word. We're going to talk about fails and a few other things. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money Medical, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and My Millennial Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. All right. So this is what <laughs> this is what Em and I have been waiting for. We're very excited to hear from you both. <laughs> What <laughs> we love that, talk- that makes us sound like horrible people. No. Well, <laughs> maybe I'm. I love hearing from people's fails because when you hear about people's failure, it can actually help to go. I, okay, here's my hypothesis: failure tends to be the thing that launches you into growth, and that's why I love learning from people's fails. That's why I'm excited about it. And it's not a dirty word. It's not a dirty yeah. word. It's an awesome word. And I think if I if I flip back to the beginning of this podcast where you shared that you started the business because you were coming out of the modelling industry and you were dealing with your own challenges in your own health and I think that is actually what launched you into finding your mission in this business. And so that to me is like when you have some pain – the growth is there. So that's a really long segue into this question. <laughs> Thanks for bearing with me about what's been your biggest career fail and what have you learned from it? Oh, great question. I mean, there's a lot of them. I think I have this <laughs> and I think it's something psychologically our brains do, but things that are a little bit traumatic, I feel like my brain's really good at completely forgetting it because I don't <laughs> want to relive it. So there's, there's some of them that have gone into a place that I can't revisit and I probably don't want to. Um, but I think if I were to think of um, the two main ones for me, firstly would be not um, spending money on good lawyers in the early days. I think it's something that a lot of people that start their business, obviously when, when you're starting out, you don't have a large sum of money to be able to do so. And so I think when you get told that a, li- a lawyer is $800 an hour, you just think, okay, well, that we just can't afford that. We can't do it. Um, we'll just try and make it work with something we find off the internet or trust our friends' advice that, you know, that, that kind of have done it before. But what on reflection... That some of the mistakes that we made by not getting proper legal advice in the early days and what that cost us, you know, two to three years down the track was huge. So I think that would be and financially, <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely. So I think that's that's a really really important one. Is uh, I see our legal legal fees as an investment into the business. It really is, and it's something that. It, it, I mean, it's like a lot of things in life. You take it for granted when everything is going okay, but then especially with legal stuff. When it's not, it is. It can be really, really hard, um, and the the risk of you know losing your not. We've never got to a point where we've had a risk of losing our business, but in some instances, like for example, if you don't register your trademarks properly and you print it onto lots of packages and then you build a brand and then you you know someone else has your trademark you have to change it that's that could cost your entire business so it's so important to you know make that investment into legal fees in the start and then I think the other one would be for me um underestimating ourselves and what we can do um and I think that's something that as you grow you learn to I mean, I don't know if we really do, but we try to learn to do it to do it less. And I think it's something as women we do as well. I think we do feel like we need to prove ourselves and have done more work than I think our male counterparts to, you know, to be in the room or to be able to, you know, be a part of a decision-making process or um, contribute to a discussion. 
um, especially in, you know, in the business world. And so I think because of that, it means that we so often underestimate ourselves um, and we don't speak up um, because we're, you know, we're afraid that we're taking up too much room or too much space. And we definitely shouldn't, we definitely shouldn't think that way. I think of the the biggest mistakes that we've made and I suppose failures we've made within the business have been from putting a lot of trust in, in people that, um, that are more experienced than us, but not then going back and checking in um, and trusting our gut on actually what is the right thing for the business right now. So I would say that would be my two. Yeah. And I think we share those. They're, they're definitely, I was like, yep, she's saying me and I, but it's totally we. Like I, I would only kind of repeat exactly what Laura said. And just to kind of touch on what she finished on there. Um, it is, it's pretty funny when you look back at big decisions that you made where you honestly just ignored your own instincts and completely trusted someone with a huge amount of experience. And what we've learned through that is that our instincts, because it truly is our baby um, and we live and breathe it, we need to trust a little bit more. And as Laura said, it's it's not perfect. We still doubt ourselves, but it's it's definitely getting better. And as for little failures, you know, one of our biggest values um, internally at Kick with our team is to own it. And that's something that I try and live by example with. I often make mistakes and I think mum brain is a total thing. And I've, I've noticed that my brain quite doesn't really function like it used to. And um, I'm just really open with my team every day about that. Um, I am having to take things a little bit slower and be told things three different ways until I understand it. Um, and I'm just trying to give myself the patience and the time and, you know, obviously just super, super lucky to have a really supportive uh, group of people that we work with uh, who have who've been patient with me as well. But yeah, I just think the biggest message with failure is exactly what you said it's not something to be scared of. It's not a dirty word. We have learned from every failure we've ever had. It, you know, the most important thing is that you do learn from it and that you try not to repeat it. Um, and then if you do that, then you're stepping forward, not backwards. And while you've got the floor, Steph, what would you say you're most proud of? Oh, I don't know. I think, I think honestly, just, just everything that we've, we've done, like collectively as a team with Kick and, and for Laura and I, I think I'm, I'm truly proud of, uh, our partnership and our relationship, the way it is now, the way it's been the entire time. I'm really proud of how far we've come. Um, and yeah, that we're still, we're still going strong and that's not going anywhere. I think that's something to be proud of because sadly it's not super common that, you know, really close friends can work so closely together for so many years and it's still be, it's only getting stronger and stronger, our friendship. So I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, awesome. And so you should be. And can I just say like props to you in being able to really confidently and comfortably sit there and say, yeah, I'm proud of us. We've done good work because if we reflect on some of the conversation we've already had, it is easy, I think, as humans and perhaps females more so to be self-critical and yeah. uh, there was not an ounce of that in that, which I, I really loved. It was beautiful. Oh, that's, yeah. I mean, it's, again, it's practicing what we preach. That's what we tell our community every day. And I think another thing to, to point out is that we are super lucky to have each other. I think there's a lot of those decisions or a lot of those steps that we've taken in business that wouldn't have happened if we didn't have each other to kind of bounce off. So yeah, it's something that we often acknowledge and that kind of builds on that relationship and that that proud and pride of the business. It's 
yeah, it's, it's, we're lucky. <laughs> Even with, um, like overcoming failures as well and yeah. making mistakes. It's like, there's always, it's been, I mean, to this point, to this day today, if we've, something wrong has, has happened, there's something about having a partner. Yeah. Like, it's like you have a kind of a safety net that, even though in the moment the worst possible thing has happened, you kind of know it's going to be okay because you're not in it alone. And so there's that. And then there's also the fact that often things will affect both of us differently, yeah. um, things that might go wrong within the business. And so often one of us will be, and in most situations, will be all good with it. And, you know, I, we can get through this. It's all good. The other one might be having a, a meltdown. Like I might be having a meltdown on the floor, but it's like, we've done this. Like what was wrong with you? We've done this before. You're just having a bad day. Get up and let's go. So I think there's always one of us that's still standing yeah. when we have made, made those failures. Um, and then knowing that we kind of have that safety net of each other, even though we're still like I don't think while it means that we can talk through a failure or a problem or something that happened and it does help to problem solve with someone else and we've got a great team that we do that with too it's funny because it doesn't actually a safety net wise it's not really like if you actually literally think about it there's not having another person doesn't really give you a safety net but it's just the feeling of you know we've got this um that that is for me that feels like a safety net yeah, and just being in those difficult moments together and having – when someone's up and another person might be having that meltdown, you're actually able to move forward and help one another. I love that and that's such a beautiful picture of what a positive partnership looks like. So on to our last couple of questions. I'd love to know if you could go back in time and give one piece of advice to your 20-year-old self, what would it be? Oh, do you want me to go first? Yeah, you go. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's such a hard one. I think it would just be to not uh, – it comes back to I think the same thing, one of the failures that I – well, when I say failure, it's not a, It's a kind of an ongoing thing, but just to not doubt – for me, not doubt myself so much and to know that, you know, every – I think one thing especially for – I mean, as a young 20-year-old, I was at uni, um, kick was starting, which is really exciting. It wasn't what it was, what it is today, but, you know, it was, it was starting in, in its infancy. But I, or was it? Or nearly? No. 20, how, seven years ago? I don't know. You've been at uni forever. Yeah, okay. Anyway, <laughs> but what's important None to remember, None of us are mathematicians. <laughs> <laughs> True. No one's going to be like, um, well, actually some people might be like, well, I was lying. No, no, no. Uh, we started the kick when I think well, I was about 22. But what I think is really important to remember, and this advice does not help if you are actually a rocket scientist or a doctor because <laughs> it's not going to help. But, you know, Steph and I, we know him with Kik and when I was at uni and all those things, I, I'm not curing cancer. I'm not – everything that happens to me in in my, like, business life and, you know, and things that might, may go wrong day to day, they will be okay and we will get through them and – the worst thing that can happen if you actually, for me as a 20-year-old, I think reminding myself that face the worst thing that can happen and often it's not that bad. And when you face that failure right up from the, the start, the fear goes and then you can just go and conquer what you want to do because you face the worst possible situation instead of, I think, kind of navigating with, oh, what if this happens? What if this happens? And um, and I suppose not achieving what I suppose as a young person you truly can achieve because you're scared of what might go wrong I think that that helps I don't know if that's advice to my younger self no I think so (laughs) I think the funny thing about this question is I've answered it in a few different interviews and I've also asked it myself to many different guests that we've had on the kickboard and it like every single answer I've ever heard 
is amazing and it's something that I probably would say to my younger self. Um, and even when I was sitting here thinking, what have I even said in the past? There's no, I have no doubt in my mind that I've probably changed my mind on it many times. But a part of me wants to say, you know, there's not a lot I would have changed, especially at that kind of time in my life when I was 18, 20 in saying that I was going through a really tough time when I was 20 with, with my body image. So maybe I would give myself some healthy um, words on not caring so much about what I looked like, but also at the time I was full-time modeling. And so that is literally all I cared about because I wanted to be a model. So it's really hard. And I think as I touched on earlier, I grew up so confident and I had this, you know, can do attitude and that I didn't really care what people thought. I mean, when I was 18, I was telling people when I was finishing school that I wanted to take a gap year to get into the modeling industry. I was called vain. I was judged for it. I was told it was a dead end career and that it wouldn't go anywhere. And I still kind of said, effort I'm going to do it because it's what I want to do and so I've kind of always had that hunger to just do what I want to do and I it's a really hard question to answer because I think everything that I've done up until this point even throughout my 20s even all the mistakes that I made even the terrible relationship with food and with my body I mean it sucked that I had to go through that but I learned so much about myself going through that time and I mean it was a huge reason why we started Keep It Cleaner. And so there's things that I just wouldn't ever want to change about my past because it's got me and us to where we are. So it's, yeah, it's funny. I would, I would want to give myself a hug and say, you know, just you'll get through this time. Um, but other than that, I wouldn't really change anything. So I'm not really sure what advice I would give. That in itself is advice, I dare say. And this conversation has been really grounding and really uplifting at the same time. So again, thank you. If any of our listeners have uh, been left feeling like they'd love to find out more about Kick and maybe become a part of your community more intimately, how can they go about that? So a lot of information about Keeper Cleaner is on our website, uh, www.keepercleaner.com. And you can sign up either via the website or the app store. We have a seven day free trial. So you can check out what Kick is all about. And then we also are on Instagram and all other social media at Keeper Cleaner and then at Laura.Henshaw and at Steph Smith. Thank you so much. We just really appreciate your time. And there's so much, I'd written a few little notes as we went along and there's so much gold in this conversation that I think people have to go back and listen to again. And I really want to finish on that whole concept of backing yourself and don't compare your chapter two to someone else's chapter 20. I think that's a really beautiful image. We're all working it through. Fails are good because that's the catalyst for your new mission, which might be similar Um, story to what both of you have had so thank you we really appreciate it well thanks for listening to the show and as always if you enjoy it please wherever you're listening jump on and give a five-star rating and review it helps us to get the podcast out there and if you liked this episode share it with a friend thanks heaps yeah thank you so much ladies thank you We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money Medical, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and My Millennial Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hmm. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.